This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Haig. All the relationships in Silicon Valley are so incestuous and tangled up with each other that I think everyone's kind of a frenemy. Travis is going to do every fight to the very end, including on video with the driver. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you like your wives and servants to read? We're talking about Super Pumped, the battle for Uber with Mike Isaac. Mike, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So this is the story of Uber, and yes, it is a story of uh, Silicon Valley tech startups and venture capitalists and boardroom battles, mm. and yes, there's a good deal of technical information and a dizzying cast of characters like War and Peace, <laughs> but it's an absolute page-turner, mm. partly because, as a reader, you can, you can barely believe the sheer excess and the shameless impropriety you're reading about, and partly because Mike Isaac has brought it Vividly to life. Mike, you're a journalist, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so, and you work for the New York Times. That's right. Tech, so, tech journalist. Uh, but you're, so you're, that your, your beat is it's, this, Yeah, this I've kind been of writing about yeah, technology probably about 10 years now. So I've been, uh, and then Uber came up across my radar in 2014 when I joined the, the New York Times. And you've been following Uber more or less since the beginning? Since, yeah, you know, I, in, uh, I live in San Francisco, and so back in 2010, I remember how hard it was to get a cab or anything there, and, and Uber's very fast descent in the city uh, kind of took everyone by storm. Well, now, I don't have an Uber account, and cards on the table, Mike. Mm. I've always thought Uber was the work of the devil. Am, am I right? I, th <laughs> I, I think there would be some people who disagree with you in that they, they like the product, but they probably don't like the people behind it. Is what I would say. Or the business model. I mean, in a way, Uber is like the poster boy for that kind of uh, of tech business, which okay delivers the product. Yep. Yeah, everybody likes Uber Eats, or yep. everybody likes Amazon because they can get things quickly, and everybody likes to be able to dial up a, a an Uber cab and get uh, half the price to get back to you know Bushy or wherever. Yep. But I wouldn't want to be an Uber driver. I wouldn't want to work for yeah. Amazon in the in the picking warehouse. And, and, and that seems to me, I mean, that, that business model is, is, is brutal. It's, it, you're, you're entirely right. It's very much focused on the customer and the user. And like uh, Travis Kalanick's whole, the CEO, former CEO of Uber, his whole thing was we need to be customer obsessed and make it absolutely perfect. But the, the, the big but about that is that for years, they kind of just exploited drivers and played with their wages. And you can't really... Uh, treat your labor force very well over an extended period of time if you want this business to work. And e even to the point, one of the lovely points, which I didn't realize, but obviously you, you make clear to us, is that <laughs> it, uh, Travis didn't want you to be able to tip your driver yeah. because he wanted everything to be incredibly frictionless when you, when you used your Uber. If yeah. you have to decide about tipping, that's less. Um, but I mean, from the driver's point of view, what a terrible problem. I mean, that's, that's tipping is like baked into, at least in the States, just baked into how things go or how a cab works or whatever. The, the other thing that they used to, they wouldn't refer to them really as drivers, but as supply in, in a sort of reference to supply and demand. Of and course, because they didn't want to regard them as, as a, a human component of the, of the process. That's exactly They're right. just a cog, in, a cog in the wheel, as it were. Right, right, exactly. And I think only... Probably only after their nightmare 2017, which was the year that all the scandals that we talk about in the book, uh, did they really start to try and improve driver relations? But I would I would probably talk to a bunch of drivers who would say it's it's still in the toilet. Well, we, we will 
come to that because um, even though I disliked Uber intensely before I read your book, I, I think I underestimated how, how awful <laughs> it is. Now, we, we talked, I said it's the work of the devil. If, if that devil is, is Travis Kalanick. <laughs> Tell me about him. So Travis, you know, you know, he's a serial entrepreneur. He had done a few different stars, born in California in the LA area, did, uh, you know, a proto version of Napster, the file sharing service back in the day called Scour. And he, he did that before Napster, didn't he? Uh, yeah, it was actually earlier than Napster. He, he was really early to this idea that file sharing in the digital age is going to be a thing. And so he did see what was coming. Yes, he definitely is one of those founders with vision, you know, and I think that those are not always the case in, in all of startup land. Some may be good business operators, but Travis was kind of jo Steve Jobsian in that in that way. He really had vision there. Um, and so uh, uh, he, he got sued into oblivion out of that startup when the MPAA and RIAA, these uh, entities in America, decided that they wanted you to pay for their content instead of steal it. Um, and one of his, I think one of the real formative things for him was one of his venture capitalist backers ended up uh, backstabbing him and kind of turning on him when they got these big lawsuits and, and, uh, and saving his own skin. And so Travis at that point was like, I'm never going to trust VCs again. VC being venture capitalists. Venture said, capitalists yeah. again. Which, which is a big deal. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the major themes of the book. Yeah. Because uh, apart from anything else, Kalanick was, was determined always to have uh, control. That's right. Uh, like uh, absolute control. He still had venture capitalists putting money in, and sometimes enormous amounts of money. Yep. And venture capitalists on the whole want to uh, want to get their money back out at yep. some point. Now, uh, you do that by going public. Yep. Great. Yep. Uh, Kalanick didn't he, he he didn't want to do that. <laughs> he essentially he wanted to go on as it were uh, controlling the company and and drawing in all this money. Yep. But he was never going it, it, it's it's kind of a it's 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 almost a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. that he was running. That was perfect. That's kind of like how, do you know the company WeWork is operating yes, right oh, now? Yes, absolutely. I'm riveted yeah. to the WeWork story just because it's literally the same thing that happened with Uber. But Travis was interested in raising as much private capital as possible and taking all your money without giving you the benefit of cashing out or letting Let's his employees... Let's talk about numbers, money. though. There was one point at which he raised a quarter of a billion yep. from one investor at one time for yes. one of the rounds of investment. I mean, these are eye-watering figures. It's, I mean, it's not like if you and I were to start a business and get 100,000 quid from the bank. A quarter of a billion, uh, $250 bi uh, million. Dollars. Yep. Uh, I guess you'd want something out of that if you were putting it in. I mean, their whole, it's funny, Travis and his sidekick, this guy named Emil Michael, their whole thing was we need enormous amounts of money up front to plow, uh, to your early po earlier point about um, half the ride cost, like to plow subsidies into the ride so that people will start demanding the service, right? So and give every driver an iPhone. Yes, and uh, and and yeah, and, and give people free rides to get them in. Get the drivers uh, to uh, give them money to to uh, join and to do yeah. it, and like just throw it everywhere. And like they were losing. I mean, talk about like vaporizing cash. They were just burning cash as much as quickly as possible to get this going. And their thesis was, you know, the more we spend, the the easier it will be to kickstart this demand uh, around the world. And it worked in the sense that people did really gravitate towards the product almost immediately. 
Um, the problem for venture capitalists, at least, is that Travis had no intention of really ever wanting to take his company public at any point and had no intention of letting them have a say, really, in how he ran the company. It was, it was truly his company. And, and here, here's a, 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 an interesting detail. He was already rich. He'd sold out a previous company. Sure. So and you say he didn't take a, a salary from uh, from uh, Uber, right? He did dispose of quite a lot of their money, one way or another. <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't need to get paid. He didn't need the payout. Yep. What he needed was the power. Yep. Yep. And of course, he also wanted. Well, you've got a lovely phrase: the cult of the founder, <laughs> which. Uh, and again, he's the poster boy for that, isn't he? He's the the poster boy for the cult of the founder. That's right. How does that work? So, I would say in Silicon Valley, there's this idea of. You know, the founder of a company is, uh, it's kind of a, the, the thing that Mark Zuckerberg really epitomized. Um, you know, maybe this like teenager in his hoodie in his dorm room, uh, sitting over a bowl of ramen, coding the next billion dollar app, right? Like this mythology that these boy geniuses can change the world if you let them and anyone could be a millionaire or a billionaire once you get there. And I think that le lends itself to giving founders much more leeway than they might otherwise deserve or have it sometimes. And so maybe in the best case scenario of this founder worship, you have a Zuckerberg who builds a sprawling empire. And in the worst case scenario, I would argue you would have someone like Kalanick who has basically created a very gnarly, you know, as I get into it in the book, gnarly culture of, of misogyny and, and law, law boundary pushing, law breaking, if you want to do that. And so uh, I just think that putting a, a question mark on how much we worship founders just because they started a company or started a business is something that we should start doing. But it's very much like a predominant train of thought, especially in Silicon Valley, especially around venture capitalists who just sort of praise these young young men who are starting companies all the time. You make the point though that Kalanick, uh, he, he, he was happier doing things in an underhand way yeah. than doing them by the book. I, right. I, I think uh, the, the, the first occasion that he uh, he ignores the rules, it's Portland, it's Portland, mm. uh, Oregon, not Maine, Portland, Oregon, yep. uh, where he doesn't get permission to start running Uber. He runs it anyway, and he, he just ignores <laughs> the fact that he's been given direct instructions not to. That's right. And, of course, he's not, he's not a capitalist. He's not a, he doesn't want to go into competition with that. He's Genghis Khan. <laughs> He, he wants to destroy everybody else. <laughs> That's right. Um, be, because it's not about competing and being the best. It's about being the only. He always viewed it as a winner-take-all situation. There wasn't enough room for two people in the market. It was only him. And I think also, you know, he had this real... Um, his worldview was sort of Hobbesian in that you just had to kill other people before they killed you, you know? And, and one of the, my favorite um, phrases that a employee said was, um, the law isn't what is written, it's what is enforced. Oh, and, that's good. Right? And, yeah. that, and that was, they took that to heart because like, you know, they'd storm into Portland and the transportation officials can't find all of the Ubers that are on the road. They in some cases, there are these software tools that actually hid the Ubers from the officials. So there were all sorts of, you know, nefarious means in which they stormed into cities and they just caught them off guard. I want to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to get a little bit technical. Yeah, which try not to get too geeky. It's all right. <laughs> I'll stop you if you do, because it's outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> I, I, I want to know why Apple 
didn't just um, shut them down. Yeah. Um, you, you, again, you, you, I, I learned from your book, uh, the timing was perfect. The, the iPhone was a necessary event for, for Uber to, to work. Yeah. But Uber played, I was going to say fast and loose with Apple. No, that's not true. They, were, they behaved extremely badly <laughs> towards Apple in terms of um, they, they, uh, they cheated Apple's restrictions. Yeah. They uh, deliberately, und- because there was a time when somebody had uh, back-engineered the, the Android app yep. and discovered that Uber was hoovering up vast amounts of information, you know, your, your phone book and your, your, uh, f- uh, your messages and everything, everything, uh, stuff that they don't need. Yes. So they were hoovering all this up in order to be able to do quite interesting things in, in terms of uh, focusing and, and, and shutting people out and all of this. And then they did that to Apple as well. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, a, a gray area. Yeah, don't do that. Apple care more about their users' uh, uh, privacy yes. than pretty much anything else. And, and Uber completely uh, ignored that. Why didn't Apple just ban the Uber app? From their phones. Yeah, you know, this is a real sort of interesting point about the iPhone and the App Store. Um, you know, Apple is a, can be a kingmaker, right? Like, if, if they decide your app is important or whatever, they can just sort of promote it to everyone. And um, it can be a way that actually works to help them sell more iPhones, right? But at the same time, it puts them in a position of slight weakness, and perhaps the companies might have some leverage over them because. Once an app becomes popular enough, you know, people will get mad if you if Apple decided to take it away from the App Store. Like imagine if Instagram was suddenly taken away from the App Store. People might stop buying. I don't iPhones. think that would bother me, but I take your point. <laughs> younger people, yeah, might younger start, people, yeah, my children that are not, yeah, my exactly. children, would people bother. that are glued to Instagram all day. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that was the calculus when Uber broke Apple's rules um, intentionally by deception. Um, and sort of they had this, you know, in the book I talk about this come to Jesus moment where, you know, Kalanick goes and talks to Tim Cook. Tim Cook values user privacy more than anything. Tim Cook of Apple. Of Apple, CEO of Apple, uh, successor to Jobs. And um, he just sort of has to come hand in ha- hat in hand saying, look, we're sorry, please don't kick us off the App Store. And I think they got a real drubbing there. But Uber at the same time, this was like, I want to say 2014-ish, Uber was growing like a weed and everyone really did enjoy it. So Apple's in this weird position where they have to um, have to kind of, you know, come to terms with people breaking the rules and then smack them down so that they don't do it again. Well, yeah, I mean, Apple, Apple would, because every time you, you do a new version of the app, Apple go through it. Yes. So they might, as you say, Apple sometimes said, yeah, we, we can't allow this. Yep. And it, it it might conceivably have been something that they were not sure about, but we know that the Uber very deliberately. I mean, they were repurposing Apple's technology to steal other other people's drivers, which is not what Apple had in mind. No, I mean, one of the things that I think Apple really does value compared to, say, a Facebook or a Google or literally any other company that tracks you using advertising technology is user privacy, right? Yeah, and that's right. So <laughs> the FBI. Their whole, right, Don't exactly. Get into, no. No, that's, that was a whole other thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so Apple, you know, Uber was just sort of bypassing these rules. Apple had to sort of lay down the law there and say, no, this is, this is what we're, we're about, and you can't go there. So, I mean, I have other criticisms of Apple, but I will give them props at least on, on the idea that they care about user privacy. 
I have to say that if it's a battle between Apple and Uber, because I don't like Apple either. Yeah. It's, it's like a cup final between Chelsea and Arsenal. I hate <laughs> them both, and I don't know which one I want to lose more. <laughs> so what went wrong? In the end, Travis Kalanick is um, ejected from, uh, from Uber, having had the most absolute control. I mean, he, yeah. he, he basically had no financial officer. There was no corporate government, yep. governance. He... Um, oh, there's a lovely quote you say, he never worried about money. He could always raise more. Mm -hmm. Raise, not make. That's, which, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm too old for all of this. I, I thought always thought you were supposed to try and make money. No, 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 no. <laughs> not in Silicon Valley. But then what went wrong? Um, how, how did the chickens finally come home to roost? Yeah, I think, so we, get, we talk about 2017 was Uber's reckoning for years of bad behavior, I would say. There was um, one thing after another, you know, internally, uh, employees were melting down over, um, Travis was on this business council with President Trump, and if you remember back in 2017, this was very much a, a moment where um, Trump had just taken office in the, in the States, and people were wondering whether, what he was gonna do, and he did this travel ban, and, and it, there was a, basically a, it, a tw an incident on Twitter where it looked like Uber was trying to profit off of the backs of taxi drivers that were striking. And um, uh, an online protest happened. Essentially, half a million people deleted their accounts immediately, which just sent the business into a kind of spiral. The other thing that, that was really a shot across the bow was a woman, uh, ex-employee at Uber named Susan Fowler, wrote uh, just like a, a blog post, a couple thousand words, and it detailed her um, time at the company and, and harassment uh, on her first day on her engineering team by her manager who asked her to join his open relationship or it's something. so 21st century though, isn't it? <laughs> a blog post a week before by somebody else would have had zero effect. Totally. Susan Fowler, that's the one that goes viral. Yes. And when it goes viral, then it all starts to collapse. I mean, and this was, this was you know, February of 2017. It was before um, the Harvey Weinstein stuff in the States, before Me Too really took off. And so it was really a precursor to, I think, a larger movement. But it really did, uh, I think, socially things were in such a precarious spot that that was like the spark lit the flame. And internally, you know, and then after that, there was Waymo, Google's self-driving car arm sued Uber. Let's talk a little about self-driving yeah. cars. Because, I mean, a self-driving car is the, the acme of ambition for Uber. They, right. they don't even then have to have those pesky drivers. That's right. That's right. Um, so what did they do about, uh, what happened with Waymo, which was, I think, Google's... Um, yeah, that's their self-driving car, self car uh, arm. Yeah. Um, so basically, there was an engineer at... Uh, Google, or his name I remember, Anthony Lewandowski, Lewandowski. Yes. <laughs> and he uh, he basically left the company, took a bunch of um, intellectual property with him out the door illegally. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like now he's being sued by the Department of Justice in the United States and could face actual prison time. But um, created a new startup. Uber bought that. And uh, a few months later, after after that all happened, Google, in very rare form, Google doesn't go after other people or other companies that often, uh, did this huge public campaign where they're basically like, we are suing Uber, we're suing Anthony Lewandowski, and Larry Page himself was like, nobody steals away, nobody steals from me and gets away with it. But Google has money in Uber. 
So that's they the was, other weird conflicted thing yeah. where they're also an investor. They were the ones that did that $250 million round. That's a, a lot of money. It's, <laughs> every, the, all the relationships in Silicon Valley are so incestuous and tangled up with each other that I think everyone's kind of a frenemy, right? And yeah. one day you might be working with someone and the next day you might be stabbing them in the chest. So this was like one of the precipitating factors to uh, investors getting fed up with Travis's hijinks, I think. So eventually, I, 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 this is what um, I find hard to understand. I don't understand exactly what it was that changed. You had, you know, drivers committing suicide in yeah. previous years. You had other scandals. There was a, you, you tell some marvelous stories about, uh, you know, outrageous parties and events that, mm. that, uh, that show up Uber's culture to be atrocious, misogynist yeah. and, and, and contemptuous. And, uh, and, and, but it's, it's kind of like a Simonon novel. When things have to happen, at the right moment, then it all it all unravels. Yes, and and, and you, you it, it's almost as though that moment has to come before things that a year ago would have been fine or not have been fine, but would have been uh, ridden over. Yeah, and they collapse. You can weather that storm yeah. maybe back then. I think I no, I totally take your point. I do think that the fact that they had scandal after scandal in literally a span of maybe two or three months or whatever uh, started to weigh on the company's uh, board members and backers, right? And so, um, uh, and and there's a big criticism there where where you could say like, well, they they've been board members all along. You know, where where was your like pearl clutching when they were doing this before, when all the culture was gnarly and you were busting into cities? But I really do think this is where, and I kind of talk about how the press plays a role in this mm -hmm. whole narrative, and the press just went after Uber and started digging up all of this, these skeletons they had from seven or eight years of, of, of bad behavior. And after you dump enough bodies out uh, and show like, this is how bad it is, you have to, Travis started to become, oh, you know what? The, the, the last straw I would say is the video of him berating a driver, if you remember that. Yeah, he, yeah. He basically got caught on video screaming at a driver in an argument. It was complaining at him and he was yeah. going, Exactly. <laughs> what have you got to complain about? Yeah, it was, it was behavior very unbecoming of a CEO. And I think any other CEO can handle or diffuse the situation, even if you disagree with the driver or whatever. But Travis, that's just not him. That's not in his character. He's going to do every fight to the very end, including on video with the driver. How far was this book a lawyer's nightmare? <laughs> we had a lot of conversations. I'll bet you <laughs> we had, I spent a lot of time on the phone. <laughs> what about a movie? They've done Jobs and Zuckerberg. Has, has it been optioned? Uh, we're, it's not yet. We're, I'm hoping that happens. It would be wonderful. Um, I could see it as a movie. It's, I, I don't know what you think, but I, I tried to write it. I'm very visual and like, I just see things more cinematically. So in I, a way more, more, it would make a movie better than the, uh, the jobs filmed it because Travis is such a, an explosive character. There's, I mean, all of the people in this coterie are just larger than life and some of them literally ways. like <laughs> bill Gurley is enormous yeah. <laughs> exactly i think it would i think it would play pretty well i hope so one last question yeah uber is now in a post travis kalanick time should i get an uber account should i open one i think it depends on how you feel about how they treat drivers you know i mean i to your earlier point about them being the devil and and like how they treat drivers they have tried to change but they still pay them very low wages they're they're lobbying against them in california on certain aspects of becoming employees or whatever so 
you know, if you're okay with those things, sure. But if you feel like drivers deserve more, then probably not. So no. <laughs> Mike, go. thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber by Mike Isaac is published by Norton at £19.99. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be reached on tim at green-shoot.com.